Welcome to Yesterday's News Today, 20th of February 1907. The trial of Harry Thor for the murder of Stanford White continues. At the beginning of the month, wife Evelyn Nesbitt Thor took the stand to testify in defense of her husband, and has been called to stand several times since. This week, the jury heard the paranoia her husband suffered from over one Stanford White. Bank robbers on the run in Santa Monica after fleeing the scene. A trail of blood has been followed by keen-eyed officers. The bandits will be captured at any moment as the manhunt closes on the chaparral in the Santa Inez Mountains. And now, for our main news. That was the news as it was this week in 1907, February the 20th, which means this could only be yesteryear's news today. I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. How's it going? Good. Do we do an entrance again? We oh, have... we do, but I don't have it prepped in front of me. <laughs> Then I guess we don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, no, we will, we will. Um, Another magic edit. Yeah, oh, sorry, I didn't. You see, the conversation has been like, is there any point doing an entrance when anybody that clicks onto this will already know what it is? And I've been listening to the podcast and I realised, well, maybe if we, if, we, if we still continue with the intros, what we definitely need to do is stop talking about the intros. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> But also, like, I still think, like, have you ever downloaded anything? Not knowing what it was. Yeah. No. Because that's kind of like Russian roulette on the internet anyway. Yeah. Like, I haven't downloaded anything without thinking what it might be. Okay, I have it here now. If this is your first podcast listening to us, just to give you an idea, what we do is we're a weekly podcast where we discuss the week's news events from years long past, beginning with the week of January 1st, 1901, and working our way through the next century one one year at a time, each week a new year, and this week is, as Johnny said, twentieth of February, nineteen oh seven. We've landed on. Though last week we we did we cheated. <laughs> yeah, we done a, a Donner Party episode. So if you didn't hear last yeah. week, you should go back. But yeah, that's a, a an SE episode or a special edition as it comes up. So it's not in the normal episodes run. Yeah. So it's it's kind of episode. What was it three B? <laughs> yeah i was gonna do that like put the number as like 6.5 or whatever but oh yeah I just no just as se it was pretty nice I think. yeah yeah i did just have it as the donner party but then like my ocd kicked in and it just <laughs> the fact that like it wasn't in line with the numbers oh, that were yeah, on the other ones didn't look as nice so what do we start with the... i don't know what do you want to start with i've just rewatched fargo so now i'm really curious about your bank robbery just like the trail of blood oh, thing. okay yeah yeah all right I'd, I'd first like to point out even though it has no relevance to this week this was the year that john wayne was born in oh, iowa really he was born on the 26th of may 1907 in iowa uh, so yeah you know um okay i'm gonna shoot straight into this yeah post office robbers held in uh chaparral uh, i'm probably pronouncing that wrong desperate characters are held at bay a trail of blood easily followed by keen-eyed officers and robbers may be may lead them to being to them being captured at any moment now for you and me chaparral is or uh, chaparral is it's an area of california of like heatherland and uh thick brush and shrubbery right. and stuff like that that's all part of uh like near santa barbara and the santa uh yanez mountains y-n-e-z mountains and that's where all this story kind of takes place um before i start the story i'd also like to point out uh, just bring to your attention that i couldn't find any follow-up on it in the papers i went through days and days afterwards to see um so this was written in the paper like the day after 
so the at, when the article was written these guys were still on the run right and they hadn't captured them yet um so I'll just give you a bit of background it started off it was these bandits had been kind of plaguing the country a little bit uh, in or the county a little bit uh, and they'd be going from like bank robbery to bank robbery over a couple of days a couple of weeks yeah uh, and there was four four to five of them suspected but they'd never been fully witnessed or anything and it was actually on the 9th of the 12th of february again i'm stretching the weeks a little bit but it was a good story it was in the papers yeah, yeah afterwards yeah. it was in the papers this week but it happened kind yeah, of yeah. At the end of the week before um and there's loads of characters named in this and loads of like policemen and stuff and i looked them up to see would i find more articles about this story and all i could find was like just listings of them on census and stuff like that so there was no i couldn't find a follow-up to this story to see if they like what happened with these guys but it's really interesting how it went about anyway all about the search um so at 2 15 in the morning on the 12th uh of february 1907 there was a special policeman uh arlie r dunham was riding through the town on his bike just doing kind of his patrols and that kind of stuff uh, and he came across four suspicious men standing in front of the bank of Santa Monica. And he asked them in exactly like his quote was, what are you doing there? Um, <laughs> and of course, their immediate reaction to seeing like a, a special patrolman, policeman like that, uh, just kind of stepping off his bike, kind of going, what are you doing there? They turned around. One of them just turned around and fired, fired at him <laughs> straight away. Wow. The bullet went through his coat and wrecked uh letters he had in his pocket so like paper just went flying everywhere out of his pocket and he wasn't hit at all him being a badass right immediately uh, pulled out his revolver and fired at one of the men um not the guy so there's the the shooter of the four men and then there's three others and he just shot one of them down straight away before your man could even get off a second shot so like your man just pulled his gun and fired him and then uh, Arlie R. Dunham, who's the policeman, uh, just went bang straight back at them. Cool. Badass, right? What was his name again? Uh, Arlie R. Dunham. It's a cool name. Uh, he was only, from what I could figure out from finding him on census and stuff at the time, he was only about 22. Um, but he'd fought off in loads of wars and like he'd been, uh, he had a full army career and he was promoted to a corporal from, uh, for bravery and stuff. And he was like, shot three or four times during like a war he, i think it was argentina he got sent down to and he got like shot in the gut right. a few times and stuff and uh at, at this time he was married to an 18 year old girl um on the census apparently um oh you said 22 that's he was 22 she was 18 it's pretty cool like that's yeah, fine yeah. yeah um so he's pretty well into his career at only 22 and uh the main article I read, it's always going on, it keeps going on about how, like, he's this, like, brave soldier and how he faced these guys without fear and refused to go off duty till he could f- catch them and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, dude, you need to sit down. You were, like, in a firefight. And he's just like, I'm going to get them. So, That's a real, like, LA confidential. It's uh, a real there's, movie character. There's some really good characters in this. Um, <laughs> do but, you think, like, do you think it's all true as well? Because, you know, the question uh, with newspapers at yeah, the time. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I'd say the events happened, but the descriptions yeah. and how much they go into it. Well, at so. least you can confirm they're real on this one. Remember, I had a story, you know, the, the two brothers, remember? Yeah. And I confirmed the sheriff and the deputy were real, but, like, I could find no record of the oh, yeah, two yeah. brothers existing. Like, so oh, still, yeah, the guys who, like, was the dance. The yeah, yeah, dance, uh, the, 
the I think the Hill brothers. So it could be well, that story I had. It could have been a case where a journalist saw an obituary in some town down south that the sheriff had been shot and thought, "Uh, yeah, I'll make up a story about him." Nobody'll yeah. ever know because it was like America back at the time. I mean, you might as well be in a different country. Like, if you're, oh, it was so fast. Yeah. Uh, um. But yeah, I'm trying very hard to. I know the last story I did uh, before we did the uh, Donner Party in what nine, uh, episode 1906. Um, I was reading about uh, your man Lord Barrington, mm. and that was I was reading the article. But that was because I was fascinated by how well it was written. Yeah, yeah. Or the way it was written. Sorry. Um, but I listened to the episode <laughs> this morning, and was I was like, oh, like <laughs> I am reading everything like this. So I've tried to make this a bit more natural and just have kind of bullet point notes in front of me and read the article a few times and stuff. But, but I've, sometimes, co- I've quotes and stuff, so I will be reading, and other times I'm trying to make it more conversational. If there's brilliant articles, though, it's sometimes it's worth reading. Like yeah, the ones I anytime at the end when we do some, like I bring a bunch. I'm just reading because they're just written fantastically. Like some of the some yeah. of the writing at the time is great. Yeah, I'm trying and, and I'm. Now realizing I'm talking really fast, which is an Irish thing. Yeah. So to our American or non-Irish uh, listeners, I'm very, very sorry. Right, I get back to my story. <laughs> yeah. So he returns fire. One of these guys goes down. Uh, the other three guys like panic, and they grab him. And the shooter, he just shouts, "Get him up and out of this!" <laughs> <laughs> According to the paper. So Dunham fires a second shot. As the men run across like the street trying to get away from him. Afterwards, they couldn't figure out where that bullet went. They didn't find it in the wall or anything. So at this point, they they suspect that he either hit the same guy again. Right. Or hit another one of them. But they're pretty sure one of them is definitely hit, is injured and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. this is where they start finding these blood trails and stuff. So it was, yeah, no bullet was found. And it was assumed he hit one of them or the same man twice. Which they couldn't figure out. The shooter returned fire at Dunham then at this stage. And it ended up taking out the tire on his bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> which was such a lucky shot. Considering they haven't managed to hit him, right? It, <laughs> um, now, you have to remember, this is like 2.15 in the morning. So it's pretty dark in Santa Monica town. And uh, they run across the street. And then... They run down an alleyway into like the next adjoining street, and Dunham just like going straight after them. He has no regard for his own safety at all while they're firing at him. Um, and he shoots again, and this time he hits the window of like a real estate uh, agent's, um, right. and like smashes the glass on the window and that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the others returns, or your, the shooter guy returns fire. So as far as far as like from the description, I can figure out. There's four men. Only one of them seems to be shooting. And the other two are like carrying the other guy off who was shot. Um, and so this guy, the shooter it's, the shooter returns fire from only 50 feet away uh, as the three men struggled with their wounded companion and all this. And he he falls again. Like he, so during all this, like, he, like he's, he's this guy falling again and like smearing blood everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they managed to just kind of get away from him. Because he's like taking cover from them firing at him. Yeah, yeah. And then they just kind of disappear into the dark. Um, and that's it. So then later on, a couple of hours later, uh, all the sheriffs arrive and just all the deputies and everything. Everywhere. The place is packed. They're doing a forensic thing. They're looking for bullets, trying to figure out exactly what happened and everything. And there's this other character now uh, is their veteran tracker, which is a deputy sheriff named uh, Martin uh, uh, Aguirre which is A-G-G-U-I-R-R-E. 
um, and he inspected the blood and he's this this like legendary tracker in the area and he can like <laughs> figure out blood splots and everything oh, so well right this sounds like an awesome movie i know yeah yeah I'll, I'll give you a quote from him right you Is can it? imagine this character being like like johnny depp uh not that i'd cast johnny depp i don't like but if yeah. this was a movie somebody like that would pop up in this like get yeah. up and yeah the dunham would be like m night or um, um sorry shia labeouf something <laughs> like that like a really young guy yeah yeah he's been through the war and He's getting up in the morning for his shift, kissing his wife goodbye, That's, and he's yeah, like, yeah. he's got bullet wounds all over him from the war and stuff, and then he's heading off, <laughs> and then he gets into this firefight, and they're all like, Dunham, you did a good job, go home. He's like, I'm not going home till I get these guys. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah like, and they're like, got... oh, uh, they're like, Aguirre's on his way, he's going to figure out the blood spatter. And, and the Dunham it. character, yeah, because he's clearly like dedicated to the case just because he's running from his own demons and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah that's perfect. Do you know what? We're going to make this <laughs> into a movie. So anyway, Deputy Sheriff Martin Aguirre arrives in Space Wood and his quote to the press, to this newspaper, um, was, this man is wounded in the left side, possibly in the shoulder and arm, by the same bullet. Where, his fir- where he first fell, the smear of blood shows his hand to be covered with blood. The heel of his hand slipped as he fell. When his friends raised him, he his left arm uh, hung and bled at the... Uh, at the curb, the blood spots indicate uh, they fell directly downwards, as evidenced by the low lateral splash. At the corner of the curb where he stumbled, you can see he was leaning over uh, to the left because of the, the blood fell the same way, straight down. And the drops and splash are identical with the others where the man was first picked up. So it's like a seriously like scientific yeah, description. Yeah. Th- this guy is Dexter. Right? <laughs> yeah, for the time as well. Like, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about forensics of the time. No, but... We always think of it just being like... Oh, well. Well, like, you remember <laughs> yeah. we had the tweet of tragedy in, like, episode three, I think, where, you know, they, they'd reckoned it was the sister based on oh, yeah, the hair. Because like, yeah, they were like, the oh. Color, oh, that's a blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. Must have been her. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Aguirre concluded that the blood was from a severed artery Um, in the guy's, what does he say, uh, left shoulder, is what he reckons. Um. <laughs> So from his analysis, they tra- like the trail, they just spread out um, with torches and lamps looking for this blood trail and they couldn't find any um, evidence of it. They picked it up two miles away uh-huh. um, at the end of Westgate Boulevard and concluded that the man had definitely been shot in the left shoulder by the blood spots in this area. Um, so Deputy Sheriff Aguirre got five men together and decided he was putting together a posse. <laughs> <laughs> um, by daylight I think uh, I like Billy Bob Thornton for, for him actually oh okay yeah yeah actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that so he got five men together and they searched all the like houses and outbuildings and stables and all that kind of stuff in the area um, and by daylight they'd done that um, Dunham our hero today uh, insisted on assisting in the search um, but they found nothing and concluded that the robbers had lifted the, the bleeding wounded man into some kind of buggy <laughs> and then like drove him northward um, and then assisted him out of it again where they found the blood again at uh, Westgate uh, Boulevard so they figured they got two miles with him in this kind of buggy and then realised oh yeah, whatever they were moving him in they couldn't uh, get any further they didn't find any evidence of what it was and so um they searched around like all like pebbles and stuff in the grass 
they found um, a money bag that, like, somewhere on the grass, we had red spots in it. And they're like, oh, this has to be part of their trail. And it turned out to actually just be an old money bag that had got splashed with red paint. Wow. You can imagine that'd be a great scene as well when yeah. they find that out, like, and everything. <laughs> and it was just at the back of, like, a workhouse. Uh, um, and it was just, like, some guy who was just... It was actually like a money his money bag that was like part of it, like in his tool shed. <laughs> like, if you think of it like it, it was like a cotton sack with yeah, swag yeah. written on it, you know? um, <laughs> dollar sign. Yeah, dollar sign. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, it was here at the Westgate Boulevard that they uh, fe- uh, the trail of blood was once taken up again and stuff, and it was heading north uh, where toward a railway bridge which crosses uh, over to the Santa Monica Canyon. Um. The bloodstains also led possibly to toward the uh, chaparral, which is the big like shrubbery area going massive miles and stuff all that, uh, leading up trails where you could also access the Port Los Angeles uh, pier. So they instantly thought, okay, these guys have gone for the pier, they're going for boats and stuff. So they uh, got on to Revenue Officer Charles uh, Sheldrick, um, and he searched every boat in the yard in the port um, and after him hours of searching and stuff he believed that they there's no way they went by water and that so they eventually concluded <laughs> that they had to have gone uh, up the trail into the uh, Charapel or These are the Cha- ma- Chaparral sorry so it was the only way they could have gone yeah um, they found no blood spots uh, beyond the bridge um was it uh but they found a quarter mile uh from the bridge a 38 caliber special revolver cartridge um by the railway tracks and this cartridge was had like fresh gunpowder on it and it smelled like pretty recently fired so they reckoned it was uh discarded from your man's revolver so they were definitely going in that direction even though they found no other blood spots in that area so um they reckoned they'd gone into the foothills uh, heading towards the canyon and so again uh Aguirre was working on the th- on a theory with another deputy called tom queen and these guys are both veterans they're old enough guys like right. um and they took charge of two parties creating a posse of about 16 men i love the word posse so yeah. <laughs> so this it's was like, a, who, posse do we, together. who do we cast for these two guys um well, Aguirre is the specialist guy. You're yeah. saying you reckon oh, Billy Bob Thornton. So Tom Quinn, he's like from what I can figure out, he seems to be a little bit older. Yeah, um, yeah. and I could be wrong. I, I might be mixing up Dexter's dad. You know the guy that's in um, and he's in he Jericho. Be, yeah, yes, he'd be really good. And he's in Django. He's in Django. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's two different characters. Yeah, <laughs> really, really sorry. He's the only actor who appears as two different characters in that movie. It's really weird. Um, um. Anyway, <laughs> so but he's perfect for it. Yeah, yeah. Um. And then, so as they're getting all this posse together and they go searching off into the foothills and they're heading around the canyon and all this kind of stuff, more and more detectives and cops just keep showing up to join this party. <laughs> and there's one, as the article described, excited detective who is, you're going to love the name, the names of this are great. There's <laughs> Detective Frank Benedict. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> who's a police uh, from the Los a- uh, Angeles Police Headquarters. Right, and he shows up with a thirty thirty rifle, right? And the quote is, uh, "He shows up with his thirty thirty rifle." Uh, Detective Frank B- uh, Benedict 
was confident if things were properly sta- if pr- things were properly started, he would get in the game to the extent of about six soft-nosed bullets per second. His disappointment was great at nightfall, for he worked hard trailing throughout the entire day without a chance to show off his reputation as a crack shot at running game was well merited. <laughs> so he's like, they're all like, we're going to get these guys. And he's going to win the gun. Wait till you see me fire my gun, guys. I'm going to be a badass. <laughs> and then he's like, then it gets to like nightfall. They're searching all day. And he's just like going around kicking grass. Going, oh, we didn't get to kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I think he has to be like a fat guy playing I was him. just going to say Jonah Hill. Oh my <laughs> God, that's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, Jonah yeah. Hill's tin now, I think. Oh, but, yeah. Well, he goes up and down, but, but he'd gain weight. He'd, for be, he'd be really, I, actually, even him, he'd be really good. Yeah, he'd be good like, anyway. Then like, he's like, yeah. I'm a detective from Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah. This is like Frank Benedict. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, we're just casting people from Fargo and Django. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> just thrown yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, even though it's funny, though, like Shia LaBeouf is, would be part, like, for some reason, that's, like, I, I don't really yeah, yeah. even know him as an actor, really. Just, oh, yeah. Or your man, oh, I can't think of his full name. Is it something Logan? Your man is in Fury, and he was in, he was Percy Jackson and all those oh, movies. Yeah, yeah, He'd be really good as well. He's in Perks of Being a Wallflower. I still um, like Shia LaBeouf because he's young enough, but, and now because he's a bit crazy if, now, he's rough. Yeah, if he had the beard going and everything, yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, oh, I've been through the war. And, and he's yeah, like, he's really good now. Like, he's in Fury. He's great. I like, think he's a very talented actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> We should get a poster of him. I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway. We so. should just make Shia LaBeouf the cover for this episode. <laughs> 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 it's like before people download it. Like, right. Yeah. If, How? Why? If, if we put it up on uh, YouTube at any point. Like just, we'll just put up his photo during this conversation. The entire just a montage throughout the entire yeah, episode. Yeah. Even when we stop talk, we're on to the next topic. Just still shy of a montage. So a group of uh they came across uh some love it wouldn't be uh nineteen oh seven if there wasn't a little bit of racism. Uh-huh. Right? So they come across a large pool of blood uh which is found near a camp where some Mexicans were digging a well. But it proved to be uh, from a slaughter, a pig they'd slaughtered earlier that day. Um, there's two, uh, so two hor- uh, two men, patrolmen end up going on horseback, and these are there's more great names: A.C. Ramsey <laughs> <laughs> and Patrolman Randall uh, of the Santa Monica Police Force, uh, combed all day through the mountains and the brush. Um, Later on in the evening, they came across a woman who lives in this, like, house which is way up, hidden in the hills, surrounded by trees. And at night, you wouldn't even know, know the house was there if there was no, like, lamps on. Right. Or, like, she lived by her. herself, like? She seemed to be, yeah, yeah. Oh. And uh, this is uh, Mrs. Bowers. And, like, she, her dogs woke her up at, like, 4 a.m. barking at something. And uh, so her quote is actually quite long. Um, and also a little bit racist <laughs> they don't seem to like Mexicans in this area that I'm in it. yeah so so Mrs. Bowers she says uh, yes I heard some most unusual sounds about 4 o'clock no one ever passes here in the night the dogs awakened me by barking at some uh, at someone passing down the trail I arose and quieted the dogs then I listened and heard cries as if somewhere in great, someone were in great pain they came in moans and cries at regular intervals between the cries uh, this and subdued voices came to me. 
distantly. I thought possibly it was some Mexicans who had been in a fight and been wounded. The men passed almost directly north. Oh, well. <laughs> so she's, she's kind of just stood in and went, oh, sounds like some Mexicans fighting. Oh, well. When all this is going on, these guys are like, so there's these 16 men and they're kind of growing and there's detect- Detective Frank Benedict is coming along and they're all like, so this, there's all these detectives that are all, and officers are all like, oh my God, yeah, there's a manhunt on. Yeah. So they're coming down from all the towns. So they end up actually forming roadblocks at all the major roads and passaways because they're coming like you get all these like detectives coming down and then leaving their like lowly <laughs> officers to stand like you, yeah, you stay yeah. here I'm heading into town to find this guy it's these guys and like loading up their guns and then leaving officers at like all those stops and stuff um, so they've actually they're closing in all the roads and that kind of stuff um, so anyway uh, so AC Ramsey on his horse um, decides he's gonna follow uh, Mrs. Bower's descriptions and he's going to head northbound down the trail from her house so he heads down this trail and he's like looking for head uh, blood spots and all this kind of stuff but unfortunately there's a stream down there and he reckons that they might have like walked up to the stream or something and he checks all the banks along the streams where they would have naturally walked out yeah, and all yeah, stuff, yeah. looking for uh, like telltale signs of blood or even footprints or anything and he finds nothing he's like can't figure it out um, he rides around for two hours searching the trails and going to like thick brush and all this kind of stuff. And he says he said afterwards it was possible he'd gone gotten within a few feet of them, but they were just like hiding in the thick brush, and that he just constantly kept thinking that they could have like shot him at any moment. Yeah. And, and so he said every time he turned the head of his horse, he just thought that he's, he's they were going to shoot him. Like, because that'd be the direction he'd be pointing in towards them and that kind of stuff. Um, but he went around like that for, like, two hours. And then eventually he kind of came out of there and he arrived out at the coast um, and scouted out um, near uh, Santa uh, Inez Canyon. And he arrived at the beach three miles north of the port Los Angeles. Uh, and he was convinced he'd actually ridden completely around wherever they'd gone. That there's no way they'd gone that far because he was on a horse and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And they're carrying a, a like a wounded guy and all that kind of stuff. Um. Oh yeah, I said to you about the uh all the guy all the roads were blocked off and stuff. They sent word to all the doctors um in the nearby towns and cities um because they're worried the guys would get down into Los Angeles. And yeah, stuff like, yeah. Um, and. And was um, it just like once, yeah, that's it. Like once they get into LA, they disappear. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So they gone. told all the local doc, every like GP, clinic, hospital to like, there's these three guys and they're carrying this guy with a bullet wound in his left shoulder yeah, and he's yeah, bleeding yeah. artery and he's like, you know, and they'll be roughed up. And uh, so if you get them, spot them, like, call the cops, you know, treat, yeah, yeah, treat yeah. the guy, keep them there, call the cops. And uh, but it was believed as the search got in later into the night that. They were hoping one of the men would come out seeking, like, trying to, like, rob a pharmacy or yeah, something like yeah. that. Trying to help them, but they couldn't figure anything. And uh, one officer, it doesn't say who, but it was, like, it was believed that um, if the men couldn't get uh, their companion medical attention, that they would leave him to suicide or murder him. <laughs> to Like, so he wouldn't be slowing them down. Yeah, and, yeah. And, <laughs> Which they probably would leave. It's funny, like, that they assumed they would, like, well yeah no i guess it's a fair assumption yeah yeah um 
at one point one of the officers during the big search when all the posse are in the brush um what is it they call it pucker brush was the type of stuff that's around and loads of uh, sage brush or something yeah, else yeah, they call yeah. it. um one officer was passing this tool house um and he saw a figure closing the door of it and when he got up to it uh there was nobody inside the tool house and the back door was wide open <laughs> so somebody had like seen him hidden in the brush yeah. or hidden in the house and then like ran out the back into the thick brush and he said there was no way to pursue them but he found in the shed a, a gun it was like a sawn off rifle right um but it wasn't a gun that was like the men had been seen with yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. so they reckoned they believed the gun was owned by some mexicans who had bought it second hand and were using it for poaching game in the area which was illegal they yeah, were yeah, poaching yeah. illegal game so they figured when they saw like cops walking around the bush, they thought they were after them and just ran off. Um, and there's one officer who was injured, and I think it might have been um, what's his name again? Uh, Tom Quinn, who is not the guy who was one of the leaders of the posse. Yeah, yeah. And from the description, I was trying it, to remember who we cast. Oh, because I'm yeah, just yeah. seeing actors now. Um, who do we say? Dexter's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is when you said him. I thought, yeah, he'd be really good in this, actually. And it's like him and Aguirre, you're like the expert, and they're like getting into like uh, a wagon and they're basically trying to be real like, oh yeah, we can keep up with the young guys and we're cool and hip kind of thing. And he <laughs> fell off the wagon. <laughs> And then Aguirre drove over his leg. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but l- luckily for him, the ground is real soft and sandy where they oh, were. So he just sank. His leg. Sank his leg into the ground, but like he didn't break anything. But he was like off, his, like he couldn't walk anymore for the rest of the day. Uh-huh. So he had to go home, really disappointed that he wouldn't be hunting for the rest of the oh. day. So, well, you know what? But now you could just see, like, he's that kind of like. He was real kind of like, yeah, we're going to get these guys. And yeah, he was just yeah. real, like, he just did that real kind of like stupid trying to be cool yeah, in yeah. front of all these like 20 year olds with guns hunting for him and stuff. Well, now with that story, it'd be funnier if we cast somebody more known for playing that character and then they don't get to actually be it. So like a Bruce Willis oh, yeah, would be yeah. funnier now. That like somebody, take, yeah, 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 is going to be it. And then something completely takes him out of the, yeah, the picture. Just, he just gets injured. Yeah. And um, so, so that was the only like injury of anyone the rest of the day like and um so uh martin aguirre who's the tracker guy he said uh at the end of it he still hoped that the men in the brush were near the mouth of the canyon and mm. that they wouldn't be able to get beyond it or track their way through it and uh he said if if they are still at the mouth of the canyon chances of them capturing or killing the bandits are considered to be good um and just to give you, like, that's all I could find out more about the story. Oh, really? I don't know. There's little bits about the robbers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the robbers, they, uh, robbers, <laughs> the robbers were on a spree um, and they were suspected of, on the 4th of January, the robbery of Newport State Bank and blowing the safe and getting away with um, $1,200. Um, and then they were also believed to have also secured $200 at the uh, Duarte Post Office. Uh, on January 19th and then they got away with $350 from uh, John A. Logan's store uh, at uh, Topeka on the 4th of February. Topeka? Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, Trop- 
Tropico, sorry. Oh, Tropico, sorry. sorry. I was just trying to, because Carrie Nation, Carrie oh, sorry, Nation yeah, yeah, territory. Sorry, sorry. Uh, it's pronounced uh, uh, Tropico, yeah, uh, on the 4th uh, of February. And so they believed that, like, these guys, because the police, they'd gone from, like, spree to spree. Yeah. That the police had, like, were constantly pursuing them. And they're kind of going, like, town to town, robbing stuff. So they, they're like, what are they doing with all this money? They must be, like, carrying all this cash. Yeah, yeah. Cause, or they're, like, hiding it somewhere. So they just couldn't figure out, like, where are they going? Like, they're just on a spree. Who are these four guys and stuff? So they never identified them at the point that this is written. And then, as I said, I couldn't find any follow-ups. So I, I was, like, every time I searched for, you know, robbers held in charity, uh, uh, Chaparral or uh, rubbers in the run on the run in uh, S- uh, Santa Monica, all this stuff. It just kept giving me back this same article. Yeah, yeah. And then so I started looking for the individual characters, like the sheriffs and the deputies and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, all I could yeah. do was find them on census and that kind of stuff. So oh. I could not find, and I searched like the same newspaper. I went through like a whole week of it every day after yeah, yeah. trying to find the follow up story, and there was nothing. I guess yeah, like it. Oh, it's so... That's really annoying because I really want to know, know what yeah. happened to them. I'm, I'm going to... I really... Uh, I keep saying this every week, but I'm going to look into it more. I um, Like, not just that, but I would say, like, if there's anyone listening to this that's curious enough to look into it more, if you find out anything else, please email yeah. us. Uh, it could be just that I'm stupid and just searched badly. <laughs> and It could be, like, in Santa Monica, it could be... There's no Like, everybody started. knows the story. I yeah. don't know. Um, and but probably not. I mean, these, like, look at how many, like, in that other items part we do at the end, like, so much stuff happens that if that was Ireland, yeah, yeah. if that was Ireland, we, we wouldn't even need to read about it. We'd just know about it. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like, that time in America, like, it was so new. So much crazy crap was going oh, on. Just that. going through, like, going through the week of newspapers like that, there's just, like, body found <laughs> yeah, three yeah. women murdered 46 yeah, women yeah, killed yeah. in fire all the like it's all these crazy. kind of mad yeah, things yeah. like um so many stories that could have come across and uh yeah <laughs> can, can i pause for a second yeah just because oh. oh. but if anybody does find anything out i'd really appreciate yeah, i really want to know i know me too because i want to know how the story ends for when i write the script for the yeah. film <laughs> well if we don't find out we would just make stuff up because now you, you oh, yeah. have like a good you do as all that stuff's going on you go through the four guys the criminals well that's it yeah you have them i think like, from their side as well i, I kind of like no I, I still i really like shia labeouf he's the right age and all casey affleck be pretty oh, good he'd be, too. he'd be the shooter that's how yeah i was just gonna say that but he'd be might be better as the gang leader yeah yeah and it'd be a bit like if we don't figure it out we'll just make up the characters and he'll be a proper psychopath yeah and we'll make it just based on this yeah, yeah, yeah i was thinking that there are four brothers and uh there was five of them one of them was killed and now they're all like you know half, half brothers though yeah but, the... yeah but you could, you could have like the, there started off as five of them one of them got killed in a robbery and now they're all like determined to just keep doing robberies so they can retire and get out of the life because they seen like like that your brother their one of the brothers got killed or something or their dad or so you know there's a character close to them i like that but you see i i, I don't know i kind of appreciate the idea of them being a bit rootless too i guess like, i reference but let's you have one of them is just completely rootless. casey affleck has to just enjoy it like yeah yeah 
It's good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? Do you want to go on to the other story we have? Yeah, yeah. See how we can cast this. Try to get through this quick enough. <laughs> this is the the well. It's the trial. It's a trial, but uh, for for murder. So we start with the murder. It's the murder of Stanford White. This is he was a, a very popular New Yorker. He was an American architect, really famous. Was a partner in the firm McKim Mead and White. Him being the White, and I'm pretty sure that's that same firm might still operate today. Oh, okay. And like they had, they designed the original Madison Square Garden, the Century Club. The west and east wing of the White House. So the White House we know today, they so like pretty big. They're all big fish. And callback, he was friends with Tesla. Uh. Like good friends. According to or legend has it that he met him by chance in the players club in New York. Is um, that what it sounds like? Like we're just <laughs> but your womanizers hang out. Well, the players I, I assume so. When we, when we get into the story, I don't. I've never been to New York, but I've heard that referenced in movies in like Gram- yeah. Gramercy Park. But yeah, I think it is like the. Well, well, I suppose nineteen oh seven. They're like, they they all just hang around club drinking scotch with giant fob watches around their necks. They're like, yeah, I'm a player. <laughs> um, <laughs> Smoking cigars. Apparently, on that meeting, like Tesla had asked him to build the Wardenclyffe Lab in Long Island. That's the one where, where he planned to build the like first broadcast and yeah. telecommunications center, which would have been the first in the world. Yeah, so he's pretty. He was a, a big cheese down in the cracker factory, <laughs> <laughs> and like, and he was apparently he was meant to. He was described as being like a very flamboyant guy and just really burly, but like. Oh, yeah. And I think he was ginger, like had a great ginger. I've only seen black, like black and white photos of him, so I'm not sure. But he looks like he would have been ginger, oh, and yeah. like had one of those great big mustaches. And you know, and he was meant to be really witty and friendly, like the life of the party, and just you know, like a real classic gentleman. But like you know, he he was a collector of all things rare, and like his he had this like really fancy apartment that just had everything. Yeah, like collections, stuff from Egypt and elephant tusk chairs and stuff. And he had a fondness for teenage girls. Oh, uh, okay. Like, like he, he, this apartment was, you know, known as a seduction lair. Um, it was on, <laughs> <laughs> it was on Twenty Fourth Street in Manhattan, Manhattan. And this is where he seduced Evelyn Nesbitt, same woman from the newsreel, and she was sixteen at the time. Maybe fourteen. It's a bit Maybe unclear. fourteen. Well, her mom might have lied about her age for certain reasons. Now the thing is, like, even though, like, okay, he, he and he was much old, much older. Yeah, that's really weird by today's standards. But like, when you read the articles from the time about this story, like, that that part isn't considered that weird that she was. Well, they'd, they'd marry girls off at sixteen. Like, yeah, yeah, like it was seen as a bit odd, but not. Yeah. Like now, it it'd be the equivalent now of a fifty year old married a twenty seven year old. People are like ah, oh, that's a bit weird, but it wouldn't yeah, be yeah. messed up. It's just well, I'd say it was more people were like, oh, he should have married the girl. <laughs> you know, that would have been the honest thing to do. You know, yeah, yeah. And this was a big oh, actually, I didn't really preface this or anything, but this story, well, the trial, the preceding trial was the tri- the first trial of the century. It's like the first time that was used. Um, very early in the century as well. Yeah. So, but it was also like up until this point, you never had the media never covered 
celebrities before this this was the first story that got this this level of coverage and and celebrities in the sense of architects artists anybody like the 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 higher class people that just wasn't in the news like okay yeah protected yeah this story is kind of what sort of showed that these people were up to up to all sorts um like an an expose of them kind of yeah yeah and it was kind of as a result of this is why papers their entire function then was to attack people like this so when this came to trial one of the big things that hit papers was the red velvet swing there's even the name of a movie layer (laughs) so actually just like evelyn uh nesbitt she was like a chorus girl on a broadway show when stanford met her and he took her to his apartment with a friend well actually a friend of hers came but him and a friend brought the two girls okay and apparently it was innocent enough like it it was they just had dinner with them and gave them champagne and it it was we with the girls yeah yeah and then he gave her a, a tour of the house and one of the rooms he brought her to was decorate was just this giant green room with this large red velvet swing hanging from the ceiling in the middle of it entwined with like ivy branches and stuff oh yeah yeah and like apparently <laughs> he's quoted to have said then when he brought her into it let's put the, let's put this kid on the swing and this is the way it's described in all these wow. articles and evelyn jumped on enthusiastically and white pushed evelyn until she swung so high she kicked a hole in a paper parcel that was hanging near the ceiling I've no idea why that's. I think it was a game they were playing. See if she could. Oh yeah, okay. Pro- Probably mean like a Chinese lantern. Yeah, and uh, apparently Ev- Evelyn would ride this swing again many times in the the months and years to come. <laughs> sometimes clothed and sometimes naked. Wow. But it was still playful at this point. Apparently, nothing happened, which is fine. <laughs> apparently, that is true, according wow. like in her own words. Yeah. yeah. Um. But <laughs> this gets really and like this story gets absolutely mental but so evelyn nesbitt she was born in in a small town in pennsylvania just some nowhere town and moved to to pittsburgh and her father was actually like really wealthy well not really he was really successful he was a successful attorney and would have been rich but he was really bad with money and he just ran like he died suddenly just didn't know he was sick or anything but he was in like he, he had huge debts and so he just left them penniless so the mother she sent the children away to live with family and friends while she traveled looking for work she'd come back and forth she just i think she was looking for work as like a seamstress that seemed to be the only way to get work at the time and at one point she came back and ran a boarding house and she pretty much met evelyn evelyn was about 11 or 12 at this point yeah okay actually just this is it's really weird even saying this it's in every book about her every article yeah. there's stuff when she was born like she, apparently she was so beautiful that people came from all over town to, to just, see the beautiful baby yeah yeah and apparently like even at 11 like yeah people would mistake her for being a teenager at least. Oh, right. and th- what's suggested in the um stories is that the mother would have evelyn essentially take her role as the landlord to go and collect rent because she was afraid to never give it to her but because Evelyn was so beautiful that they yeah, would have to yeah but it sounds like she would make Evelyn sweet talk them I don't know like, yeah kind of sounds a bit dodge but that might have just been what she the mother might have just been a lunatic in thinking that 
and the guys who normally wouldn't pay rent would have see an 11 year old kid come looking for him being like like if it, if yeah if i was renting somewhere and the landlord sent your 11 year old child to pick up rent i'd be like yeah here like uh, yeah, yeah, i'm really sorry like, well, why would you argue like i'm not gonna start arguing well not until you f- fix the bathroom <laughs> yeah like, exactly yeah, yeah so i imagine that's just Is that leaky pipe you have intended yeah to. yeah it's like, just She's give it to the kid standing there twirling her hair like, <laughs> yeah. um, here you go but her attempts to run the boarding house failed probably because she was using <laughs> an 11 year old kid to do all the yeah. heavy lifting kind of and yeah so she left the kids there and relocated to new york looking for work eventually sent for the kids but still no work and apparently they were like really lousy poor like living in a a really small box room like her and three kids or whatever but meanwhile like back in while the kids were back in in pennsylvania evelyn had gone work as a model she's still 12 13 but like artists just yeah um and yeah she'd been doing quite well of it so when she and when she came to new york she wanted to continue with it and the mother didn't didn't want to do it at first but you know money was tight so she uh let her and there's a quote here i have i just want to read this is from evelyn's mother i never allowed evelyn to pose indie altogether (laughs) (laughs) two artworks one by frederick church and another by beckwick in 1901 contradict this but i just thought that was fun i just really wanted yeah, to yeah. be indie altogether but <laughs> yeah and so evelyn actually just ended up becoming this huge model in new york okay so she was just like known for yeah she was beauty, her, her beauty and all that she kind of was a big pinup model like she was on like billboards and any advertising like she's one of the gibson girls on like every cigarette package and okay. just poker car just everything like yeah yeah and she was even on the cover of vanity fair so she's oh, coming right. huge like wow yeah. and this is like she's still she's either 14 or 16 the fact that there's a question to whether she like if there's a question to whether somebody was 14 or 16 i gotta assume they're probably 14 then yeah, yeah. you don't there's usually a, there's, co- a, there's a reason you're trying yeah. to assume they're older yeah. <laughs> but yeah no she'd have been yeah she's 14 <laughs> yeah and she's a pinup model basically yeah, yeah, F- yeah. Fully clouded, obviously, but... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the... the Sorry, yeah, the stuff about the put the possible nude ones were still paintings, like... Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to Stanford. He kind of see... He wasn't seeing Evelyn. They they were hanging out. He was bringing he her... He saw her dinner. regularly, yeah. He, he was seeing her in the very literal sense. Yeah. But nothing else had happened. And the mother... Like might might have been a bit weary of that to begin with, but then she just apparently started to grow quite fondly of Stanford White, this old man who well, was seeing her daughter. Rich and... That I think that was it, but of course, like apparently, like his his interest in her daughter seemed uh, paternal as well. Like that, you know, yeah. he was looking out for her and caring oh, yeah, for yeah. her. And apparently, it wasn't just to the daughter. Like the her brother Howard, he had paid for him to go to uh, military academy oh okay so he was actually kind of being involved with the family yeah, yeah it kind of seemed like it, it definitely because he wanted to be seeing more of the daughter yeah yeah of course yeah. but he was what was it paving her attentions <laughs> is that what they said <laughs> no it's not that was from the remember the Tohita tragedy oh yeah yeah we were reading about remember that was the way it was phrased in the papers oh yeah, yeah paving pa- her attention oh, yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah so but then like so white now that the mother had 
Mrs. Nesbitt had come around to white, he convinced her for her for her own good, like to get a break because she had so many hard times in in the recent year that she should take a trip. <laughs> uh, you should leave me alone with your daughter for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 insists. He said she should go back home, and I I assume he like paid for it or whatever. And so she went home, and he took Evelyn out for a night again. Same thing, wined and dined her, and he took her back home and gave her another tour of the house because this was like this huge like yeah. three story apartment or something, and some rooms she hadn't seen before, and one of them was what was called the mirror room. Yeah. Um, so this was a 10 by 10 foot room uh, situated on the same floor where the red velvet swing room was. <laughs> and <laughs> the walls and ceilings were entirely panelled with mirrors, as you can probably guess from the name. Yeah. And just in the very centre of the room was a green velvet sofa. Wow. And so he brought her here and more champagne was consumed and... He had her change into this yellow satin kimono dress. And according to her, that's the last thing she remembers. Until a few hours later when she woke up and she was naked. Uh. In, I think it's from like her biography, she says, I entered that room a virgin. So yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's what happened there. That's why he was. Up in court, huh? Sorry. No, no, oh, sorry. he wasn't. Oh, no. sorry, yeah, yeah. No, he dead now. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, Stories yeah. about his trial. No, I'm saying that's why he had her, the mother. Oh, sorry, away. the mother's other way, yeah, yeah. But, but still, they, that wasn't, apparently that was, everything was fine after that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Might he, was, ha- it was, he, was, he was a scoundrel and dishonest, but mm. he wasn't, uh, as far as they'd seen, he uh, wasn't a criminal, I suppose. It's was weird it. reading her accounts of it. It's like, she, she acknowledges she doesn't remember it but she never like she she doesn't use the word rape oh yeah very weird but but she's still like they they were still kind of seeing each other like he would still bring her to dinner and stuff yeah but she would still go on and have her own life like see people her age there was this other guy john barrymore (laughs) a different john barrymore (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh too hard. This guy was actually, well, he's still 21, he's still too old for her, but no, this John Barrymore was actually like, this was, oh, it's a pity this didn't work out for everybody, but he was just a cartoonist, he's only a young lad. He was actually, he was introduced to Evelyn by White at a party, and he ended up in a relationship with Evelyn. Oh, okay. And White just introduced him because, you know, and he probably worked with him, the cartoonist probably done billboards in Madison Square. He's like, here's my ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he starts seeing her and the mother doesn't like it because he's just a cartoonist. He's not uh, making yeah. enough money. Yeah. And then White, he introduced him, but he, I guess he didn't see this happening. Because yeah. He's like, oh, he, he tries to sabotage it because she's, she's, she's apparently madly in love with him. Yeah. yeah. And so he arranges. Well, the thing is she sees him as this older uncle character, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. He's putting her brother through school and bringing her over dinner. He so, so it's he, different to this young <coughs> yeah. cartoonist who's he arranges for Evelyn to uh, be sent off to boarding school. <laughs> yeah, wow. And yeah, Barrymore. Just before that, Barrymore had actually asked he he was gonna ask Evelyn to marry him, um, and he had went 
he that went to the mother asking for permission and out of respect went to stanford to ask for permission because he saw him oh he's kind of like her yeah, father yeah. figure not realizing the uh, yeah what went on behind but those like, doors so yeah. like this guy's like a genuinely good guy like yeah, yeah doing the proper thing on all accounts but yeah so he sabotaged that and yeah again things continue as they were before i guess like yeah until this other guy enters the picture harry kendall tall who actually he looks like chris walken <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah well at least i think so um but and he was just he was a millionaire and billionaire by if you yeah, yeah. fix it for inflation he was the son of this big uh coal baron he's <laughs> the heir to a 40 million dollar fortune wow in 1907 <laughs> like, yeah, yeah that's um, incredible and apparently he was a psychopath oh really? like he was just really reckless and unstable uh probably a morphine addict like just, just had the money to just do whatever he wanted uh, yeah and because he had the money is probably why he was all of those things yeah, yeah. but just like not a good guy in any way he i don't know how he met evelyn but when he when he did meet her he un- introduced himself under a different name <laughs> okay and just went with it and was trying to get with her for months under disguise of being this different guy and he would leave clues or something and he took her he he brought her on a trip to paris and it was only when in paris he he revealed himself or he revealed himself and then thought i can't actually remember but either way like he was pretty much seeing her before he revealed it who he was i and like i i have no idea why it's a fun game to like if me or you done it it'd probably be because it was a fun game but to this yeah, yeah. guy like i don't know if this guy understands fun like he just seems like oh, a yeah, crazy yeah. man <laughs> he just takes things too far oh yeah that was it i think he just like was seeing her for a while and he just randomly revealed it and then he brought her to paris because to help her recover from emergency surgery that she had okay and this is it's there's no fact for this there's no record of it but it's pretty strongly suggested she probably had an abortion yeah yeah there was john barrymore's child and that's why he was at had oh, asked her to marry yeah okay it all comes together. so it was probably either the mother white or this new guy probably had her yeah taken care of yeah so lovely people involved in this story yeah, yeah. um not that there's anything wrong with abortion just that no no if you're sabotaging somebody getting married the, he, you know, he was going to marry her. They got, they were probably going to have a kid, and then yeah. these people interfered. And like, yeah, no, you yeah. can't get married. No, you're not having that kid. It's like, yeah, that's definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, and uh, he, he apparently he took her to to Paris to recover from the surgery, but he designed the trip was mental, where like they would only <laughs> spend like seven hours or something in each city. Wow, and okay. they would travel Europe. He would have, uh, he would pretty much have it that they wouldn't get to sleep in hotel rooms. They would check in for a few hours, go on, on the town, and then they would have to go leave again. Yeah, this yeah. is meant to be. So and, he's, he's just like, it's like he sounds like he's just a guy like doing loads of coke, and he's like, "Come on, let's keep moving, let's keep going, let's go, go." Apparently, go. it was it was like um a very strategic plan. It was to yeah. break her down. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> he took her while she was tired and recovering from whatever. And... Yeah, well, and he also brought the mother on the trip. And, like, they reckon that was so as they would fight the whole time. He yeah, wanted yeah. it. was his way to get to 
get her away from the mother. Yeah. By just like making it really hard on both of them, so it's like tensions would be really high. Wow. You know how people are. It's like kids on a holiday. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it was on. He started pressuring her into marrying him on this trip. Like, ah, so it does sound like he's just mentally trying to break her down. <laughs> she wasn't really. She's a bit weary of this lad, but still, oh, maybe he he'd be good. And she felt bad, like you know, because it was back in the day. She she was meant to be an upstanding lady, like so she wouldn't. She thought she couldn't say yes unless she had told him about her her past encounters. Oh, okay. And so she told him about White. Oh, the the uh, mirror room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just he he, he went crazy just hearing this. Like, did yeah, she yeah, that even, this happened. Did yeah, she yeah. even had sex? I think annoyed him enough. But the fact because he'd have known White, yeah. I, it just this guy is mental anyway. So this yeah, thing. Yeah. Apparently, they, when they were in, um, they went to visit the birthplace of Joan of Arc, and in the guest book, Toss signed it, she would not have been a virgin if Stanford White had been around. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's how, like, so he's just, like, obsessed. He can't stop thinking about it. It's one of those guys. This is, now, this wow. is where it still gets, it's still funny because this is, like, a Bella Lugosi movie or something. Okay. But it turns dark really quickly. Uh, long story short, she, he he took he took her to an Austrian castle, where she essentially became his prisoner. He okay. uh, divided the castle into two halves, keeping like the servants and workers in one half, uh, and him yeah. and her in another. And he locked her in a room and beat her with a whip, and apparently sexually assaulted her. Ooh. Yeah. So, but the idea of him bringing her to a castle, that part, like what the. What? Why? <laughs> like, he's a villain out of a an yeah, old yeah. monster movie. Yeah, absolutely. Did he try to do some train tracks after this? Like, <laughs> yeah. but like a horrible guy. But yet, she ended up marrying him after that. No. Yeah, and basically it was like, well, I suppose she probably felt she had no choice though. But that was it with all the. And he broke her down. Well, yeah. he'd broke her down. The mother apparently his plan was to just separate to him and the mother, but that he didn't need to because the mother was all about the money. So she and he was so rich, she was supportive of it. But also, she was just worried about her reputation because she'd slept with other men, and that oh, she yeah, was she didn't think. Well, she was probably not to going her. to get. She wasn't going to get a husband now, so yeah, like this guy was actually off. This guy was actually offering, so she was just going to take yeah, it yeah. essentially. And then she saw no future with Stanford White either, so. Yeah. Financial security seemed to play a big part in it. Of so, yeah. so the wedding nineteen oh five, and yeah, and I think the mother afterwards she uh, was told Evelyn she had to give up the theatre now that she was a married woman and she oh, had somebody yeah. to provide for her, and so they got married. Even though, and she told friends about the abuse and stuff yeah, before they were married. He was. But and of course that this brings us up to well. The murder, June 1906. Stanford White was at a party on the roof of the old Madison Square Garden building. And he was sitting front stage with whiskey, <laughs> eyeing some showgirls. Oh, yeah. He had probably forgotten Evelyn Nesbitt's name at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd been through so many girls. <laughs> like, he'd moved on. Well, no, I'm sure he's still. But, like, he was like, damn, I can't believe that one got away. Yeah, yeah, But he was on to... But he didn't... He definitely didn't expect what was coming because in the same room Henry Tall was there dressed in this huge overcoat this is the middle of summer yeah. um, and he walked through the crowd 
came to uh, Stanford White's table and took a pistol from under his overcoat and fired three shots into Stanford's head. Whoa. And people thought it was a practical joke because uh, apparently that was known yeah. to happen in, at this venue. And yeah, it wasn't until they saw the blood run down along it's the it, floor. It. that the And Tall apparently held up the gun and just unloaded everything just so his, everybody knew he didn't mean them harm. Oh, he like just stood there, emptied the gun? Yeah, yeah, and then walked through the crowd. Uh, like, a, And the crowd was going nuts, like everybody was yeah. running. He walked to the ele- he walked out of the building, well, to the elevators, went downstairs, where he returned to the friends waiting for him downstairs, which was his friends, including his wife. They were out to dinner. He just left them, went up, <laughs> shot white, and came back down. Heard he was there, he would be there, kind of thing. Yeah, and he was arrested straight away after. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> And so the trial, and that kind of brings us right to the trial. This is like not as interesting now, but like yeah, the trial yeah. began in 1907, January 23rd. Um, well, that was the first trial. It, there ended up being two. At the start, we heard uh, Evelyn Nesbitt, now his wife, she testified for him, <laughs> like in his yeah. defense. On February 7th, she was still, she was called back, I think, six times throughout yeah, the yeah. Like, next three weeks. So at some point this week, she would have been called back but mainly it was as a result of stuff she had said it was this week what what actually really happens this week is where they learn a lot about Ta's mental state (laughs) just how paranoid he was this came up in the trial like he just couldn't let it go yeah but to the extent this is what came up this week in the trial that he was in he had been writing letters to this guy Anthony Comstock who was a politician that was like just dedicated to the ideas of victorian morality yeah <laughs> like uh, th- that puritan belief like you know no sex no drinking kind of like oh, yeah. uh, senator mccarthy with with uh, communism oh, and yeah. he had been writing to him telling him about stanford white and what he had done <laughs> look at this evil man yeah yeah, yeah yeah and he'd been constantly bombarding this guy with letters just he just hated white based on the fact he had sex with evelyn and he also he became convinced that white was aware of this he had been in contact with this politician <laughs> so he thought that white had hired men from the monk the monk eastman gang there was like a, a gang i think there were like one of the five points gangs in new york may i yeah. could be wrong on that there were a gang uh, he, he thought white had hired some of them to kill him so his idea was he he he, he had to kill white before <laughs> white had him killed but yeah he was tried <laughs> so crazy he was tried twice and evelyn nesbitt type testified at both trials and in open court she was forced to pretty much tell everything about her past relationships like she was the one who was on trial yeah of course um and that's why it's the style of the time it's the only reason uh the details all these details were known and she had to describe all the details the mirror room and losing her virginity but yeah the defense their argument for Tall was that he was defending her womanhood. Oh, yeah. That that's so, it was, it was not self-defense, but it was a justified murder. Oh, okay, yeah. And that was like what the lawyers were all like, oh, yeah, yeah. he was defending her honor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that didn't actually really work. Though. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity, but uh, he okay. was committed to a mental institution. <laughs> Evelyn just went, she never had the career she had before the trial, but she had minor success in like vaudeville theater later yeah divorced remarried all that she lived in new jersey for a while and just died in a nursing home in california in the 60s oh well so she lived a long life yeah and she had a, it seemed like she she had an okay life afterwards but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I suppose that's a that's a good life. It's fine. Eventually. Yeah. What's interesting about like two weeks after the original the murder, there is a film about it. What? Yeah. Two weeks. I can't remember the name of it, but I might <laughs> two weeks. Yeah, that's how that's how big of a case this was. They just was shot. it the as you said earlier, the Velvet Swing. Oh no, is that not? that's the the girl in the red velvet swing. That's a nineteen fifty five movie. Yeah. It's a more of a a biopic kind of oh, more okay, accurate. Yeah. I don't think actually I'm not sure if it is accurate. I imagine it's more Hitchcockian. I've never oh, seen okay, it, but yeah, yeah. um Let's look it up. No, it like it'd just be the one that was like two weeks after it was just a silent film, but it's on YouTube of or at least clips of it are. And actually that's the scene of the the murder scene. It's actually done really well. It's oh, yeah. visualized really well. Like and they actually have it really it's really accurate. Like they have him unhauled up oh, and yeah. it's the Wow. Um and also like there's a biography, American Eve by Paula Urub. U R U B. It's a very odd surname. But yeah, so like, and I got that, uh, there was articles, like a bunch of articles this week in the, I think it was the LA Herald, but like the big ones I actually like put together the story from were from different years. There, that oh, yeah. was the San, Fr- the San Francisco call in August 9th, 1906 and the Daily Herald from January 23rd of 07. Oh yeah. But yeah. And then I say it was, yeah, 1908 when he was found not guilty, but that's, yeah. So that's a, another. Oh, that's that's what I didn't mention earlier. Is yeah, as you're name the newspapers, I got mine from the Los Angeles Herald. So good stuff from that. But yeah, so that's that story, the first trial of the century. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that is? That's a that's a HBO miniseries <laughs> rather than a movie because there's so many characters. I'd say it's more of an ongoing storyline that it'd be yeah. in like a madman set in the early 20th century yeah it's like yeah it's a, it's a that would go it's across, one of the stories yeah, that's going on. Yeah, yeah it'd go across three seasons like we've been going a while do you want to finish up for would you want yeah we will yeah, i'm starving you you don't want to go into other items or anything um a few little bits do you have a few little short I've things i've got a few little bits i'm gonna pick out really quickly i'll try and yeah we'll finish up because i'd say we're must be well it's like a quarter past eight now nearly well i'll just finish up really quickly with i'm not gonna read okay i'm not gonna read this first one the one that actually comes from this week because it's too long this is something that i found in the back of the sydney morning herald on february the 20th and it was just titled an annual meeting of the kennel clubs it's really long i won't read it uh, I'll take another one just to give you an idea of what it was. This is different. This is from February 5th. So this is way earlier, not this week, but it's a short, another kennel club note. So just give, to give you, if you don't bother reading the one I just said, this is yeah. the same. Just give you an idea of the type of thing. At the annual meeting of the San Francisco Kennel Club, the proposed bench show was discussed at length. <laughs> the election of officers resulted as follows. Director John E. De Ruter, W.W. Richards, John L. Cunningham, and a few more names, actually just an entire list of names. Uh, the club has appointed R.P. Keesby, delegate to the American Kennel Club. Dr. Steer was reappointed veterinary surgeon. The following members will act as the bench show committee. And then there's another one. I won't read this one either from the... Well, actually, it doesn't matter. Two is enough. So, and the other article before that was very similar where it just had new people elected. But yeah. also, like, what they were establishing, what is now a breed, what's a purebred, and what oh, isn't. Okay. like the rules of it, yeah. Yeah, and so the reason I mention that is because 
Like as well as just what's pedigree basically yeah. yeah as well as just talking about actual stories i like on this one we actually just like talk about just weird things that are more just yeah something of the time <laughs> and it's very odd that that was of the time where kennel clubs were such a big thing <laughs> that they would be reported in the, in the news yeah, yeah. Well, i guess everything had to be because you didn't have the internet um, yeah there's no other outlets for these things I suppose. because for for those who don't know kennel clubs maintain pretty much breed standards within like direct what they record what a pedigree dog is essentially oh, yeah, yeah. they and decide they'd, they'd keep records of bloodlines and all sorts yeah of yeah them. well the and they they're like it's the same with horses and stuff they're very specific well kind of not really because they invent breeds like they they like oh yeah there's no like it's in I like it in the records they keep but in the rules they established not such i mean horse breeding has existed for for, for centuries yeah, yeah the dog breeding kind of was it started in the victorian era yeah like that's the th- like that's there was always dogs used by man but they weren't they didn't really start making well, them into specific breed breeds clubs look after what they call purebred dogs like dogs that are registered with the club but purebred dogs like they're dim it's meaningless it's like a, oh, yeah. um, a do- like a dog that's purebred isn't high quality that's what a lot of people think no no it's, it's the complete like there's no very inbred there's actually. no reflection of quality in a purebred dog like yeah it's in yeah in like you said instead yeah, of purebred they, they look t- they look very specifically like that breed or they have yeah the, they've, they've the closest textbook characteristics of what defines say an alsatian or a jack russell or whatever you know? mm. yeah well that and that's what breed clubs were they decided what was what you could call it purebred and what wasn't yeah. um and so it was such a new thing that that's why it was in the newspaper because there's so many breeds of dogs that only like there's ones that only the first time that popped up were 1922 but yeah it's a ter- it's a terrible thing like uh the thing is yeah we're like purebred it's selective breeding like that's what yeah, it, like it's yeah, just exactly, it's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is so it's artificial selection which by definition is yeah. unnatural yeah, <laughs> yeah, like uh, like natural selections the, the complete opposite but they have it it's like yeah none, none of those dog breeds would exist without humans being here to create them you know, yeah, yeah and it's terrible like it's terrible for the dog like the dogs that like purebred dogs are... yeah, they never live very long they're always usually very sick they have loads of genetic disorders and and it gets worse like the the longer you the longer purebred dogs exist the more unhealthy they get yeah. like like you look at a bull you could like anybody like google image search a bulldog from this year and then oh, go yeah. back and get a picture of a bulldog from like 1905 and yeah. compare them and you see how different they look oh yeah like they're they're a different animal and it's the breed it's the kennel clubs that have decided what a bulldog should look like like they, they didn't have always have the folds in the skin that they have now that their face wasn't always as scrunchy yeah and they were like a really healthy dog like the the, the official standard that's set by the kennel clubs is just this deformed like short-faced dog that like it's it's pretty much first of all like a bulldog can't swim <laughs> now any dog that can't do a doggy paddle isn't <laughs> has problems like and that's as yeah, a result yeah. of them breeding it so its arms are so short it has really bad skin problems because of the skin folds it has like oh, dermatitis yeah. most of them can't can only give birth by cesarean section 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Did, Never like, heard that. That's the crazy. bulging eyes they have, did, oh, yeah. they blinds them because they get all sorts of disease. Yeah. Cancer prone. They've got an... <laughs> Like it's, it's really sad like yeah, oh it's no awful. it's horrible yeah. and as well like they're like one of the most especially like they're a huge like people love bull- uh, bulldogs do look awesome yeah yeah. and that's why they continue to be bred so much because people love them so they've like the turned in paws at the front isn't yeah it? you can see them like when they sit down they just don't look happy <laughs> no no they don't um and then like the the like the the classic like british bulldogs that would you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and they're even like I don't. I could be wrong, but do they look a bit bigger now? <laughs> like, it looks like they're bigger now than they yeah, used yeah. to be. But uh, a UK survey of 180 bulldog deaths puts the median age of death at six years and three months. Wow. Yeah, so that's a random red dog, though, like a, a mutt. The, oh, uh, they live up to about 20, like they... Well, 13's the average, but oh, yeah. yeah, you can, like... I've had especially, a, especially with small dogs. I've, I've had friends who've had, uh, like... Jack Russells, and they've lived to like I think. I remember one of my neighbors? He had a dog, a Jack Russell that was like twenty-two and it died. <laughs> like, but then smaller dogs are probably like yeah, but it wasn't a pure Jack Russell. Oh, that was right, the thing. Yeah, like yeah. he was he was crossed with something else. And I I had a I had a a dog. He was he's Jack Russell crossed with a corgi. That's what we, we have uh, at home actually. Yeah. And uh, he was really really healthy. He was fine. And like when he was like eleven was when. We unfortunately had to put him down because he kept getting, he got like cancerous lumps in his stomach. Right. But they're like in his skin. He got like, uh, but anyway, they, but he was actually like perfectly healthy apart from that. And, but then they were, we got them cut out and then they came back a few months later and it was just, he was just in so much pain from it that I was like, ah, we'll put him down, you know. But he was like, up until that happened at like the age of 11, which is pretty old for a dog. He was like still like a springy puppy. Yeah, yeah. Like he was, he could move around and jump around like a dog that would be maybe five. Where some dogs, like when they get to bed, that kind of eleven, they're real slow and grey looking and stuff. So had he not gotten that, I I reckon he probably would have gone to like the seventeen, eighteen. I'd probably still have him now, <laughs> <laughs> but he'd be really old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had dog like we had a collie that was like like was actually a purebred, but. She yeah. was bred. She well, she wasn't purebred, and she wasn't bought by. She wasn't bought by somebody who went under kennel club oh, regulations. Yeah. It, I think it was my granddad who had bred them. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. They're st- they're they're a lot healthier. But um, he had a line of uh, good working dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. Like the thing. Like a lot of people talk. Like Alsatians is the big one. Like yeah, yeah, every like Alsatians look really unhealthy. You see a lot of them. Yeah, like, they get the tiny hind legs. And yeah, stuff like yeah. That. They they get they get this bent in their back. Yeah, they're, they get loads of spine problems. They're an awful example of how like breeding dogs like that is a terrible thing. But also how like it's how they're bred a lot of time. Because if you see a working Alsatian dog, it's a different animal completely. Like you take an Alsatian that like the police use. Yeah, yeah. It it's you would there you can't. They're a different dog. Oh, I've, there, I've, yeah, yeah. I've known like um a pub back home. They have an Alsatian. It's the friend. It's a beast. I think she was like twenty three when she died. Oh, they're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah and she's like, they are they are the like the perfect dog. Yeah, right? and then like you always hear these. And they're so good you, and so clever and stuff. And then you always hear these stories, like the horror stories people tell. That, like somebody had this pet Alsatian, and one day out of nowhere, it snapped and it devoured the child or something. Yeah, it's the Alsatians that are bred in 
kennel clubs that have yeah, the, all the, the problems. Yeah, the really purebred ones, they get um, they get dementia, and they yeah yeah they they forget who their owners are and stuff, so they don't know what's going on. Yeah, they, well, they if actually were, they go they go nuts. If basically. you're stuck in that body, won't you? Like, that's, but no, but that's it. They lose. They actually just lose their mind. Like, yeah, they don't yeah. know what's going but on. But the thing about people that think allocations are dangerous, it's like those versions, those mutated versions that man yeah, yeah. has made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same with like you see husky dogs, and it's like huskies are a, especially. I don't know, but like Dublin's crazy with husky dogs now. Yeah, especially like I live, um, I live near Phoenix Park. If you walk through Phoenix Park on like any given day you will see about 40 huskies oh really yeah and they all have um almost all of them you will see they have the same limp in their back left paw no way yeah it's because they're all actually it's only in the last few years they've started to come and come to ireland they've yeah. pretty much they've all came from the same oh uh, like puppy farm or whatever yeah yeah so they all have the same disfigurement like whoa yeah, and I also think, like, having a husky in Dublin, I don't care how big your house is or how big your yard no, is. It's crazy. That's so mean. Like, um, my cousin had a husky, and he he had, like, it, living in the country, he had fields behind him. And it was just about enough for the husky. Because huskies yeah, yeah. are, like, husky... And you hear about people get huskies, and the dog goes crazy, starts tearing up their garden and stuff. Huskies yeah. actually like to work. They yeah, need they, to they be need, kept busy. <laughs> like, they need, yeah, they need to be kept busy. Yeah. And huskies but, are... But they are, they're quite far from... Uh, sleigh dogs huskies because they've been bred so much oh, yeah, yeah. away from them but yeah, still they, they still retain that kind of like like this like sleigh like sleigh dogs the original is, huskies they're like they will just run for like 18 hours yeah, yeah. a day and then they just rest and like they, they're very much bred in a pe- pack well, mentality to go back to that, they're the uh the original huskies yeah. like sleigh dogs like you're talking about they're they're not even bred like they're that's a mutt yeah yeah they're not like yeah they're just a mutt they're a they're a dog and like all mutt, like we kind of there's loads of mutts just look different but you have yeah, yeah. you have like your handful of like typical mutts yeah um and that's more associated with because it's where we live like but in those regions that's what a, a mutt looks like yeah and well that's like yeah uh, that's something i do know when you travel like dogs look different in different <laughs> yeah, countries yeah, yeah i remember the first time i noticed that i was being like oh but i remember they've been in spain as like probably about what maybe about 12 years of age or something going and going oh because in spain dogs are like, really different and like but i remember thinking black about, dogs or yeah i remember thinking about it go oh but it makes sense because it's a hot so much a hotter country than here that the dogs are kind of like taller and skinnier because they don't get as hot <laughs> and, That's a, and like they don't they don't have a lot of long-haired dogs or any of that like they look so different and i was like oh that makes sense and i was thinking like i don't know a lot about dogs but it's like you know it's mutts it's mutts that like you see a mutt during winter and have a big huge winter coat and then they shed during summer yeah, like yeah. they seem like they're that's they're the most naturally evolved yeah, yeah. dog they actually, adapt like yeah. yeah and you don't like whereas i mean I, my my family had a shih tzu like and my yeah. god like yeah. he was such a delicate dog but like i mean <laughs> like, you take like a, a box the there was a study for boxers and they found that twenty thousand boxers had the genetic variants of a population of about 70 people no yeah way. that's how inbred they are Twenty thousand. that's insane pugs there was a study where they found like ten thousand. yeah had the genetic variants of 50 people pugs again like i've never seen a pug that looked like it was happy being a pug no and pugs are like pugs and they've, they've really terrible like 
they they like they can't even breathe properly. You see a pug stuff. sitting down, like it can't sit down properly. <laughs> like no, it just it doesn't look happy. It sits on its back. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do like they are quite a funny. Like I, was, I guess they look happy, but they don't know that they're, or maybe they do know. <laughs> but but they're kind of like they're just dogs they've bred to look funny. Kind of. That's it. The Victorian era, we talked like they loved just doing weird shit back then like and they're kind oh, yeah. of when they got into breeding dogs it was just to see what weird shit they could do oh yeah like look at what i made kind of yeah and yeah. That, but the fact that that's still that this is still a hangover from the victorian era it's crazy and but and it's like i i i, I really like dogs yeah i love dogs, and i love pure like i i don't judge anybody for having a pure pet dog or anything no but, but i just judge the the people breeding them for like having those standards yeah. and for like enforcing it and making that such a and also the fact like they cull dogs like there's there's a, a i don't remember the, the name of the dog but it's like a a breed kind of from a the old like rigid hunting dogs and they want their spine shaped a perfect a perfect way oh yeah there's this like curve in it that's really bad for them that breaks their back eventually but they want yeah. that for luck and the ones that don't have it, the puppies, they kill them. Oh, yeah. Because they're born naturally without it. Like, the off chance, it's an off chance they'll have it. And if they don't, they kill them. Oh, yeah. And it's the opposite of evolution. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. And they kill the healthy ones. And the idea of killing puppies because they don't meet... No, they don't really do that much nowadays. No, but because they don't look the way you want them to. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Um, Just do... Uh, we'll wrap up on this, but... I saw like at the dudes this tiny little it, didn't, it looked like a, a Muppet character. It won like the Westminster dog show. I think it might have been on this BBC documentary. Oh, I think but, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. And when they brought it out, is it Pekingese? Is that Pekingese? Is that? I think so. Yeah. I think that's the the breed. And when they brought it out to get its medal, they had to bring it out on a bag of ice because it was overheating so much it was going to die like a friggin xbox 360 that had to cool <laughs> it down now if there is a dog that exists that has the same operating problems as an xbox 360 <laughs> that is beyond cruel because like, i've owned an xbox 360 <laughs> that's like that's so you don't really, the red circle of death yeah, is yeah. blood stains on the floor of your overheated dog <laughs> like that is so like if, if it has to be brought out to like spectators to get its medal and you're putting on a bag of ice if, like, if a dog can't if, if you've bred or de-evolved an animal to the point where it can't self-cool mm. you've gone too far yeah and it definitely you definitely shouldn't be giving it medals no you should be giving it uh, proper care so that was a bit of a rant from us uh, <laughs> on just how awful uh, kennel clubs were and that hangover that still exists oh, yeah. um, so that was yesteryear's news today <laughs> oh, we'll see you in the future you mean the past subscribe to us on iTunes rate us and tune in to us every Friday for more of yesteryear's news today where the news is better late than never <laughs>